Hello and welcome to British Tea Time podcast, my personal podcast. And today I'm going to continue reading for you chapter 3 of the Coral Island. The months passed and we quickly got used to living on the island. We hardly ever talked about going home. Each day on the island was filled with beauty, sunshine and adventure and we couldn't imagine spending a single minute away from our tropical paradise. One sunny afternoon, while we were standing on a rock trying to spear fish for our dinner, we saw two dark objects on the horizon. What do you think those are? I asked Jack. Jack frowned. I'm not so sure, he said. They seem to be coming toward us, I said. Could they be boats, Jack? asked Peterkin. Jack shaded his eyes from the sun and looked at the two objects. They're canoes! he exclaimed suddenly. Canoes? I repeated. You mean natives? Jack nodded. We'd better hide, lads. The natives of the Pacific Islands are dangerous people and they don't particularly like strangers. We quickly followed Jack into the woods and found a hiding place behind some bushes and rocks. Fortunately, we had some of our clubs and spears with us. We watched in silence as the canoes entered the lagoon, one after the other. The first canoe carried a group of about 40 men, women and children. The second canoe carried a group of men. The men were heavily armed and seemed to be chasing the first canoe. When the first canoe arrived at the shore, the women and children leaped out of the boat and ran into the woods while the men waited on the beach for their enemies to land. A few minutes later, the second canoe arrived at the beach. The warriors jumped into the water and immediately launched a vicious attack on the men. It was the bloodiest battle that I've ever witnessed. The natives beat each other mercilessly with clubs and stones. The violence was too much and I had to turn away. When I looked back, I caught sight of the leader of the attacking natives. He was tall and strong and had tattoos from head to toe. His face was covered in red and white paint and his wild hair was unnatural yellow colour. I concluded that the man was the chief of the tribe. Then I noticed another man who was as tall and well built as the chief. His face was painted blue and he wore a headdress. I assumed that he was the chief of the other tribe. 
the two men began to circle each other, but as the blue-faced chief prepared to strike his opponent, one of his opponents threw a stone and he was knocked unconscious. This was the turning point in the battle. When the natives saw that their leader had been injured, they fled into the woods. The attacking party chased after them and managed to kill some and capture most of the men. Once the survivors had been tied up, the men went in search of the women and children. A few minutes later, the natives returned to the beach with eight women and four young children. The women were dressed in brightly colored clothes and they were wearing flowers in their dark, curly hair. The youngest woman had light brown skin and very kind face. We were all impressed by her beauty and her quiet but proud attitude. The yellow-haired chief turned to the young woman. He seemed to be asking her questions and when she did not respond, he raised a club in the air and threatened to hit her. It was then that Jack sprang into action. He ordered me and Peterkin to unite the prisoners. Then, with a fierce cry, he ran to the beach and attacked the yellow-haired chief. Jack swung his club at the chief's head and hit him between the eyes. The man fell to the ground unconscious. His men were so stunned by the scene that they didn't react. Moments later, they were overpowered by the men Peterkin and I had freed. Within 15 minutes, the attacking party was lined up on the seashore, on their knees and bound. After the battle, the natives gathered around us, talking to us excitedly. Of course, we couldn't understand a word they were saying. Jack shook hands with the blue-faced chief, who had regained consciousness by that point and we invited the natives to our camp where we treated them to a meal of fish, coconuts, breadfruit and yams. Exhausted by the day's events, we all fell asleep immediately after dinner. When we woke up the next morning, the natives were busily repairing their canoe which had been damaged when it struck the beach. We tried to communicate with the natives, but it was impossible. Then Jack pointed to himself and said, Jack. Then he pointed to Peterkin and me, repeating our names at the same time. The chief understood Turaro. He said, pointing at his chest, 
Then he pointed at the young girl, Avatea. He said, and the girl smiled. Four days later, the natives helped us bury the dead and got ready to depart. We helped them carry the prisoners to their canoe and gave them some food for their journey. Then Toraro did a strange thing. He rubbed noses with me and my friends. We realized that this was their custom. So we rubbed noses with the entire group. We were sad to say goodbye to our new friends, especially Avatea. She was sweet and well-mannered and seemed to like us. An hour later, we watched the canoe disappear into the distance with surprisingly heavy hearts as we thought of the events of the last few days. That's the end of chapter 3 of the Coral Island. I hope you like it. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. Have a great day.